Welcome once again to Christ Community Presbyterian Church. Glad that you're here this morning. We are continuing our service in our, our series in uh, Genesis chapters 1 to 11, and we're continuing the theme of sin. Uh, last week we looked at Genesis chapter 3 in the fall, and this week we're going to be looking at the story of Cain and Abel. Uh, of course, this is, even if you're unfamiliar with church, you've probably heard of Cain and Abel. Uh, Cain kills his brother Abel, murders him. And we're going to be looking at that story and particularly thinking and re reflecting on the nature of, of sin and how it wheedles its way into our heart and expresses itself in action. Um, but in that, it's another sort of heavy theme. Uh, I don't want us to mit, uh, miss what we've already considered this morning, which is, though our sins, those, our sins are many, uh, they are many, uh, his mercy is more. And that's the, that's the theme, if you will, of this, this service and of this sermon. So with that, we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 to 16. Uh, you can turn with me there in your Bibles um, or into, in your bulletins. Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 to 16. Now Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well... Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now, you are and now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer of the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground and from your face, uh, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest, uh, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's a shocking tale. It's a shocking um, account to hear how one brother murders another. And yet, Lord, in this account, this retelling of these two brothers, you have for us uh, your word for today. And Lord, help us to see Christ in it. Help us to see the gospel. Help us to see our sin and recognize 
but for the grace of God, we would be just like Cain. Help me as your servant to preach your word faithfully. Uh, for we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, there's a saying that goes something like this, uh, blood is thicker than water. Uh, it's an old adage that suggests that family relationships are closer and stronger than other relationships. And, and like many Proverbs, there's a lot of truth in that. We're, we're close. We're knit to our family members uh, tightly uh, oftentimes. But there's also another reality that is that is maybe also true that could be also put into some sort of proverb and that is we often take uh, our families for granted we often are cruelest to the ones who we are closest to right uh, we fight and bicker with them we're disrespectful sometimes we're downright mean to our family members I don't, I don't think any of us would disagree with that statement. I think we've all lived in families. That's part of the nature of us. And we've all seen the darker side. Siblings have jealous and petty rivalries. Parents can be harsh or neglectful. Husbands can be cold or cruel. Wives can be demeaning and bitter. And, of course, you can flip those. Vice versa. You can go either way. Children guess what? You can be disobedient and insolent. This is is what we do, right? In many ways, it is within the home where the tragic effects of the fall are most apparent. I'm, I'm painting a very sad picture, I realize, of family life and most of a lot of family life is good, so I don't want to pretend like that's all of it is all negative, but a lot of it, some of it anyway, is. We all understand how within families we can hurt one another. And I would say the same holds true within the context of our church family. I don't need to walk through a history of the way churches hurt one another. Bitter church splits, painful abuse by pastors or congregations, um, cold indifference within the context of a church. you, You get it. And if you haven't experienced it, you've probably heard it. You've probably read about it. You've probably gone on to Facebook and all the various forms of social media and seen how ugly churches can be. You've probably heard about Christians, maybe family or friends, who've left institutional church altogether because of the pain of it. You've probably talked to pastors who've left ministry maybe even left the faith or the church because of the pain they experienced within the context of ministry. The truth is, we often hurt those who are closest to us, the family relationships that we have. It's depressing, right? I love starting these sermons this way. Um, and I would say we might lose heart if we don't go anywhere else, if we stay here and we wallow in this, if we stick to this theme of darkness and we don't see the light. But I want to encourage you, don't lose heart. This morning we'll talk about the darkness of of sin and how it creeps into our life and affects our relationships. But I do want us to see the light. I want us to see how there is one who overcomes evil Mm -hmm. and the evil in our hearts. 
God himself, who is greater than our hearts. So as we contemplate the power of sin and the power of Christ to overcome, I want to look at four things this morning. Four. First, I want to consider faith. Believe. Our power to overcome sin, our our power to overcome the sin that indwells in our heart, begins not with getting some sort of strength, but it begins with faith. It begins with belief and trusting in the one who is able to overcome. Believe. Second, beware. Sin is no docile thing. It seeks your destruction. Beware. Be watchful. Be vigilant. Sin will destroy, and we do and are judged for our sin. Third, be loving. This may not be obvious from the text, but it is the corollary, right, to what Cain does. We are called to love God, first and foremost, and to love one another. Even beyond that, Scripture calls us to love our enemies. Finally, so believe, beware, be loving, and friends, you are beloved. That's where we're going to end today. You are beloved. Know the love of God for you. See his grace and his mercy. So with that, we'll start with faith. Believe our power to overcome sin begins with trusting in the one who overcomes. It may not be obvious, but our text begins with faith. It begins with the faith of two people, Eve and Abel. Eve and Abel. And we'll just look very briefly at Eve. She she enters at the beginning of the the text, but then is quickly left aside. We we then focus in on Cain and Abel and the relationship of God with them. But, But at the beginning, we see Eve. The text begins with the birth of Cain. And notice what Eve says. She says, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Um, just as a note, the name Cain and the verb gotten or acquired uh, sound very similar. So in the Hebrew, Cain and acquired sound, uh, sound similar. And you'll remember something about Eve. Eve was cursed by uh, the Lord after she took of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil and was cursed. And she was cursed in particular in the physical realm of uh, bearing uh, children. She would feel pain in childbirth. But here, as she bears a child, she doesn't focus in on that curse. Did you notice that? She doesn't even mention the pain that she had going through birth. Rather, Eve there looks at this child that is given to her, that is from God, and she says, the Lord has helped me. There is hope in Eve's own words here. She thought, I deserved death. And though there is pain in the process, the Lord is my helper. And he has given to me this child. She trusted in the Lord. She clinged to that promise. Remember the curse given to the serpent? That the seed of the woman would crush the head of the seed of the serpent? Well, here, Eve, when she holds the child in her hand, she is reminded of that blessing and promise. And she said, the Lord is my helper. She expresses faith. But we move on from Eve. 
We're told that she gave birth to another son, not just Cain, and she named him Abel. And from this point on, the account focuses in on the relationship between these two brothers, Cain and Abel. Cain worked the ground like his father, right? His father, who was cursed, was going to have to toil at the ground. So there was Cain toiling by his side. Abel was working the field and the flocks of, 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 I guess, Adam, you might say. He was caring for those flocks. And in the course of time, they each brought an offering to the Lord for their, from their labors. And we're told simply that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel gave his firstborn sheep from the fatty portion. Then we're told this, the Lord had regard for Abel's offering, but not for Cain's offering. And I want to stop here and ask the question, why? Every commentator, every person that reads this text asks the question, why? Why was there regard for Abel's offering and not for Cain's offering? Was it something of the substance of it? God prefers the sheep to the fruit or the grain or the the vegetables or whatever it was that was growing in the ground. Was, Was it because of the substance of the matter? I don't think so. Uh, one reason I don't think that's the case is because when we get into the laws of the Old Testament, we are told that, that grain offerings were actually thank offerings that were, were part of the ritual and routine of the people of God to go and give grain offerings. So it wasn't that that was a wrong offering in and of itself. So then the question is, was it because Abel took the best of his flock and the fatty portion, uh, but Cain's was just, were just told basically that he gave of it? Um, And I would say to this, maybe, maybe, possibly, but we're not told what Cain's offering was like. Maybe it was his best. But this detail about Abel's offering at least hints about why Abel's offering was received. You see, it's not the substance, not even that it's the best, rather it's an issue of the heart. One was of faith and one was not. The writer of Hebrews tells us this at the outset of the hall of faith. If you go to Hebrews chapter 11, the writer of Hebrews says, By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, to which he was commended as righteous. See, Eve and Abel trusted the Lord. They put their faith and trust in God. They looked forward to the promises given to Adam and Eve that God would provide one who would overcome evil. Not so with Cain. Not so with Cain. We're not told why his offering was not acceptable, but at the very least, we know it was not given out of faith. And we know that because of Cain's own reaction to the situation. First of all, Cain believed in God because God was there in front of him. We're told that Cain was in the presence of the Lord. So it wasn't as if Cain was like, ah, does God exist? Does God not exist? No, God existed, and he knew that. That wasn't the problem. The problem was that he wasn't certain that God was good. That God has his interest at heart. Do you remember we talked about this a lot? This was at the fundamental root level cause of Adam and Eve's sin. They didn't trust that God was for them. And so it was with their son Cain. 
He didn't believe that God was fair. Cain, like Adam and Eve in the original fall, doubted God's goodness. In fact, we're told that he is angry, that his face is downcast, that he is sullen and mad, depressed. And he figures, God, you're just playing favorites here. You accepted his offering and not my offering? For Cain, it's, it's not faith at work in his offering. Rather, it was pride at work in his offering. Why didn't you accept my offering, God? What makes Abel so great? It's not fair. And I want to I want to dwell here for just a minute because I think we can start. It's hard to relate to Cain because he murdered somebody, um, but I think we can understand those initial points um, where Cain is wrestling. I think we all can relate to this in some measure or manner. Like Cain, I think it's easy for us to confuse our outward actions and faith. Right, what we do as opposed to what's going on inside of our hearts. Well, I go to church, and I read my Bible, and I'm a good person. And I, and I would say to that, okay, that's, that's good. That's good. But that's not the heart of the matter. The psalmist says it well when he says it this way in Psalm 51, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. See, in that contrast to the pride that often seeps into us. God, I deserve. Why don't you give me this? I've done all these things. I go to church. I do this. And this is what you give me? I deserve more. Cain's problem was that rather than believing in God, he believed in himself and what he could produce for God. I think this is how we are. We get it backwards. When we think that it's our performance that gains us standing, we've got it all backwards. See, rather than looking at the one who is able to conquer sin and overcome it in our hearts and put our trust in that God, we put our trust in ourselves. Friends, the call for you is to believe. The Lord Loves a broken spirit, broken and contrite heart. He will not despise. Coming to him in recognition of, Lord, I need you. I need you. But this requires us to understand fully the nature of sin in it and its hold on us. Which brings me to my second point. Beware. Uh, sin is no docile thing. It seeks your destruction and the destruction of others. Um, and it deserves judgment. Cain is angry. His face is downcast. Another way to put it this is he is sullen. He is pouty. It's that feeling when someone else gets what you think you deserve. So let me give you a few examples. Because right? I think this feeling is pretty common. Uh, your classmate receives praise for the project on which you did most of the work. Come on. Preach, <laughs> I mean, we've all experienced that, right? I'm working hard on my project, on a group project, and I do all the work, and so-and-so is just sliding in along. 
but then we get our grade and we all get A's. Your boss gives you, or your boss gives your co-worker a raise for his work. Meanwhile, all your hard work goes completely unnoticed. In fact, it seems that all your boss ever notices is the little tiny things that you do wrong. He doesn't ever see all that work. Or kids, you, you know, you, or adults, actually. <laughs> You've been a dutiful child your whole life. You've done what your parents have asked you. You're caring for them in their old age, maybe. And some, for some reason... They favor your brothers and sisters who just do whatever they want. You see, now you get the feeling that what came, that feeling that he had inside him. It's not fair! Jealousy, resentments, bitterness, they take hold in our heart. And even as I say these things, and you're thinking about your own lives and hearts, you're saying to yourself, yeah, but I'm justified to feel this way. Because my classmate is lazy, and my boss is a jerk, and my, my siblings never do anything, and I do everything. I, I, I am justified to feel this way. I'm indignant. But I think the root of sin is much deeper. It's the lie that the serpent gave in the garden that tells us we deserve better. Because we're better. And our anger and resentments towards others are actually just anger and resentment toward God. It's just, we take that anger and resentment that we have towards God for not giving us our just desert, and we push it out to other people. Our life is not the way it should be because we deserve better. And this is where it all begins, the subtlety of the lie. Maybe something wasn't fair or didn't seem fair. Maybe we did work hard in the moment and didn't receive recognition. Maybe we were dutiful. And there's nothing worse than working really hard on something and feeling like you've poured yourself out only for it to be rejected. There's nothing worse. We can relate to Cain, can't we? We get that anger and that sadness. But I think what we miss, what we fail to see in those moments, is God himself. See, we fail to see that our successes are derivative. They are from him. What I mean is this, we fail to give God glory. When Eve gave birth, she gave God the glory. She didn't talk about overcoming the pain of her bearing in the child. She didn't say, look what I created. She said, look what's been given to me. This is my God. Abel, who gave an offering in faith, did not consider holding back the best for himself because he knew that all of it, everything that he had, was from God. Not so with Cain. He wasn't getting what he deserved. This is the insipid nature of sin. It gets into our hearts and convinces us that we are justified to do whatever we want. And in the, in the, and it's true. And if we leave that sin unchecked, we can justify just about anything. I would say we can even justify murder. Cain justified his murder in his heart. The Lord warns, warns Cain, Cain, it doesn't have to be this way. If you do well, meaning 
If you acknowledge and trust in me, if you believe in me, then when you bring an offering, you're putting your trust in me, it'll be accepted. It wasn't Abel's offering, but Abel's faith that made his sacrifice acceptable. But if you do not do well, if you allow your pride and anger and resentment and jealousy, in other words, your sin, to find a home in your heart, it will devour you. I love this. Sin is crouching. It's like a lion in, uh, in wait for its prey, sitting in the tall grass. You've all seen the, the, uh, the, the nature videos of the lion just sitting there, sitting. And then within a split second, the lion is off like a shot. And that antelope does not have a chance. Friends, this is what sin does. It hides, and then it comes roaring out like a lion wreaking havoc in our lives. We find ourselves saying stuff like, when we sin grossly, when we sin greatly, we say things like, I don't know why I said that. Or, I don't know why I did those things. That's not me. That's not who I am. Right? Because all of a sudden, all of it comes out and we, we aren't aware. We're blind to it. Friends, watch. Be wary. Let me ask some questions. Do you snap a lot? at the people around you? Do you blame it on being tired and hungry? Hangry, is that the word? Look and see. What, what's going on in your heart? What internal heart issue is not external physical issue at play? It's not about hunger, it's not about lack of sleep. Those are just, being tired and hungry are just opportunities for having our guard down. But, but what's deep in there that causes you to be so frustrated every time somebody does something that annoys you and you snap out at them? Well, what about this? Do you find yourself wanting the things that your friends have never satisfied with what you have? Do you blame your spouse who doesn't earn enough? Or do you blame your job that isn't paying enough? And you thought, if I just had enough money, if I just... If I just uh, my spouse just did more than we could be content. I would be content. Look and see. Is it really about your lack of stuff? Or is it that you believe you deserve more? And you believe you deserve better? Because what happens is if it's left unchecked, our sins come into full bloom. For Cain, it leads him to premeditated murder. The text tells us that he went out and talked with Abel. Presumably he was going out and saying, Abel, come with me, I got some work to do. And he brings him out to the field. And Abel, being a helpful brother, helps him and he murders him. Friends, snappiness turns into anger, which turns into bitterness, which turns into resentment, which can lead to hate. You don't always see that train. You think, well, I'm just a little bit ornery. I'm not, I'm not an angry person. Friends, discontentment can lead to all sorts of sin. If you're discontent, all of a sudden you're justifying adultery. If you're discontent, all of a sudden you're justifying cheating on your taxes. If you're discontent, all of a sudden you're, you're justifying lying and all other forms of greed. I'm just pointing out, like, a little discontentment we think is this minor little thing, but it breeds into these greater things. Beware. Sin is no docile thing. It's seeking to destroy you. Don't just look at the outward circumstances. Don't blame your environment. Examine your heart. Ask yourself, why do, why do I do that? Because at the end of the day, 
It not only leads to your own destruction, but you will leave a wake of destruction behind you. Woundedness and pain. But there's another way. There's another way, all right? This brings me to my third point. Like, this is the way of, the way of sort of selfishness and sin is, is a path that leads to destruction. But there is another way that the, the Lord Jesus himself calls us to, and it's the way of love. We're called to love, to love God and to love one another. The Apostle John in 1 John chapter 3 actually takes this account here in, here in Genesis chapter 4, Cain and Abel. He takes the account and he says in chapter 3 verse 12, he says, We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And he goes on from there and he draws a direct line. He says, uh, there's murder, hate. Lack of love. Uh, so we can understand murder and hate being evil. Like those are clear lines that we can all agree. It's wrong to hate. It's wrong to murder. But do we see lack of love as in the same train? He says this in verses 14 and 15 of chapter 3. He says, whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Catch that? Do we harbor hate against people in our hearts? I'm not like Cain. I never stabbed my brother, but do you harbor hate? Farther in John, in this little letter, he goes on and he says this a few verses down, but if anyone has the world's good and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? You see what he's done? He's saying, don't be like Cain. He's a murderer. He's of the evil one. Anyone who hates is like Cain. Anyone who doesn't love is like Cain. If you don't help the person in need, you walk right by, just ignore it. Doesn't matter to me. How does the love of God abide in you? John. John, that's too much. That's too hard. It's too hard. Cain's issue was that he didn't love his brother because he didn't love God. Notice this in John. I'm still using John. 1 John 4, 7. It's a fairly familiar verse. says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Our love is an expression of God's love for us, our love for God, poured out in others. Cain didn't love his brother because he did not love God. And the love of God was not in him. And what does it look like for us to love one another? Because that's always the question. Well, what, what exactly does love look like? And, you know, there's a million expressions of it. So, we could talk about it for hours and hours in every situation. What does it mean to love somebody in a particular situation? But let me give you just one Bible verse that you should know right now. You memorize it. Know it. This is love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things.
Love, of course, is the very reflection of God himself. When you read 1 Corinthians 13 there, you should say, that's Jesus. That's Jesus. And Jesus said to us, love one another, just as I have loved you. And this brings me back to our text. I can get overwhelmed by this call to love and by that sin that so easily encroaches into my heart. There was a, a Bob Newhart sketch that I showed, shared with my kids the other day. It's kind of funny. Um, Bob Newhart, for those of you who don't know, was a comedic actor back in, I don't know, the 70s and 80s. And um, he did a little sketch on Mad TV. Uh, he was playing the role of a counselor, and these people came into his office, and he, he, he would counsel them, and he would say, you know, you have, I have, just pay me for every minute, just it's going to cost $5 or a dollar for every minute up to $5. And then that's it. That's all you have to pay. I promise you we won't go over five minutes. And the, and the counselor is like, well, wow, but that's wonderful. So, she, so he's like, okay, tell me your, tell me your issues. And he, she tells him his issues. And he says, I just have two words for you. Two words. Stop it. Stop it. And he, she, he just keeps saying that. And like she keeps trying to say, well, what about this? Stop it. Just stop. She's like, well, I can't just stop. And that's our problem, isn't it? When, when we see this call to love and this, this call to, to forsake sin and to put it to death and watch it, we feel this overwhelming burden that we just need to stop it. And we struggle. We can't do it. We don't love as we ought. We continue to sin. So I want to come back to the text and see the grace of God. Beloved, know the love of God for you. See His grace and mercy, even and especially in His judgment. Um, the first place I see God's grace here is that He actually gives Cain opportunity to repent. Where's your brother? Right? Remember how He had asked Adam in the garden, where are you? Where's your brother? To, to Adam and Eve's credit, they confessed. It wasn't much of a confession. They struggled with their confession. But here, Cain just lies. I don't know where my brother is. Am I my brother's keeper? When confronted, Cain doesn't confess. And I just want to stop here and think about this idea. Is he his brother's keeper? This idea of a keeper is one who protects, one who watches, one who is a loyal friend, one who, 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 who brings somebody alongside, keeps them from, from danger. It's exactly what Cain should have been to Abel, his younger brother, right? Older brothers, older siblings, you care for your younger siblings. You come alongside them and protect them and keep them. It's exactly what he should have done. And the truth is, the glorious good news is that, yes, Cain failed. He was not his brother's keeper. He should have been his brother's keeper. But the Lord is a faithful keeper. Listen to these words in Psalm 121 that describe this aspect of our God. He is a faithful keeper. He's the one who brings justice to bear. He says, the blood of Abel cries out to me. He's not going to let it go unpunished. But this is the kind of God that we have that says, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon 
by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time and forevermore. This is your God. When you find yourself overwhelmed with your sin and your lack of love and the fact that you are not being your brother's keeper the way you ought to be, you're not loving as you ought, you can remind yourself of the grace of God for you that your Lord is your keeper. He loves you. He keeps you. He protects you. God is merciful. God is even merciful in his judgment. You notice Cain doesn't repent. He doesn't apologize. He doesn't even acknowledge his sin. But when the Lord brings judgment on him and says, listen, you, the blood of Abel's crying out on my, on my behalf. You've poured that blood in. Therefore, the ground is going to be against you. No longer is he going to be able to work the ground, but he's going to wander around like a nomad. He even is told he is thrust east even further into the land of Nod or the land of wandering. And Cain is like, even in that, he doesn't see his own sin. He just complains to God. God, this is too harsh. Because I'm going to wander and somebody's going to kill me. And the Lord is gracious and merciful. He says, you know what? I'm going to put a mark on you so that no one kills you. Vengeance is mine. And I thought about this. Did Cain ever come to his senses? No, I don't think so. We have no scriptural evidence to that account. But, but here's something I want to encourage you. If you find yourself wandering and running from the Lord, you know your own sin and brokenness, but you're not yet ready to say, Lord, I'm a broken sinner. I need Jesus. But you are wandering. Let me encourage you with this. God is merciful. He's patient. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and mercy. You're alive today because of his mercy. Repent and believe. Cain had all the time in the world to do that. No one would take his life. But don't be like Cain who ignored that mercy. But turn in faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Finally, last thing that I want to note from the text. That blood that cried out. That blood cried out for justice. Did you know all our sin cries out for justice? All of it. The blood spilled cried out for justice. Every time we are cruel and unloving, every time we are selfish, cries out for justice. But God in his mercy poured out a better blood. Hebrews 12 points this out to us in Hebrews 12, chapter 4. Again, just following that great Hall of Faith passage. There is a better blood. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against him so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Listen to this glorious hope. In verse 24, And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkling blood that speaks a better word 
than the blood of Abel. The blood of Abel calls out for justice, and the blood of Jesus brings justice and righteousness for us who are sinners. We are washed in his blood, redeemed and kept. This is the grace of God, sinner. Now, don't forget, be wary, be on guard, watch out for sin, don't let it rule over you. Don't forget that call to love, but be reminded of the love of God for you, who did not spare his own son, but shed his blood for you. Let's pray.